Guys, what is up? This is the last podcast of the regular season. Can you believe it? Big Rat and I are here. This is going to be a very quick, very impromptu, not impromptu, but very quick podcast because, to be honest with you guys, a lot of crap, not a lot of crappy games on tomorrow. A lot of games that mean nothing, but we're going to get right into it in one second because the Tennessee Titans are going to playing the Jacksonville Jaguars, and I'm going to say this outright. I like Tennessee in this game. I don't know why. I just think it's that everyone expecting them to win in, in teams to win when, you know what, I think Mike Variable rallies the troops one more time. Yeah, I'm, I'm very concerned about this game as a Dolphins fan because initially, before we knew that the Steelers won, yep. it, was, it was beneficial for the Dolphins that the Titans won because it meant the Jaguars would fall to the seventh seed and the Bills would be the sixth seed. So if the Dolphins beat the Bills, the Dolphins wouldn't rematch the Bills. Now it has completely flipped. Now that the Steelers won, because um, the Steelers, because of the fact that now if Jacksonville loses, they're out of the playoffs altogether. Yes. So Buffalo, Buffalo would be the seventh seed because Pittsburgh has tiebreaker over Buffalo because they have a better conference record. So now I actually need the exact opposite. Now I need the Jacks to win because if they lose and the Dolphins beat the Bills, the Dolphins are rematching the Bills the very next week. And I know we'll talk about that game extensively soon, but. One thing that's clear is that it is not optimal for those teams to play in consecutive weeks because it's going to be really hard to sweep a team in back-to-back weeks. We almost never see it in NFL history. There's some exceptions, but generally it's it's pretty rare, especially when those two teams are like two of the five best teams in football. So to an extent, I, say it again? I was just going to say, to an extent, we saw Giants-Eagles do it last year, but that was divisional round to week 18. So kind yeah. of so- yeah, and, and it'd be one thing if, like, both teams got a bye before that game, but then the Giants have to play someone else in between. So yeah. the, the only example I can remember is that game, 2012, Adrian Peterson and the Vikings, they beat the Packers in the game that Adrian Peterson almost broke the NFL all-time rushing record. He was famously nine yards short. And then the very next week they rematched, and – Christian Ponder was hurt, and Joe Webb ended up being the starting quarterback, and this time the Packers won. And I believe I believe when the Vikings won, it was in Minnesota, but when the Packers won, it was in Green Bay. This is literally in the exact same building if this happens. And the odds of it happening are not crazy at this point. Uh, but on, the, on this game specifically, I as a Dolphins fan will be rooting for the Jaguars to win, so that means that if we beat the Buffalo, we'd knock them out of the playoffs altogether. However... I'm kind of torn on what will actually happen because I do agree. Mike Vrabel is notoriously great as an underdog. Uh, they're, they've been The Titans have been really good at home. Their three losses at home are the following. Against the Texans, which was in overtime. Against the Colts, which was in overtime. And against the Seahawks, when Geno threw like a game-winning touchdown with like 30 seconds left. So yeah. all these games have been very, very close. I mean, the Colts game, if anybody watched that game on Red Zone, the Titans should have outright won that game. Like they had... They had two blocked punts, and because their punter got hurt on the second block, Tannehill had to be the holder for the game-winning touchdown extra point, and he messed up the hold, and they missed the extra point. So they they really should have won that game outright anyway. So, yeah, Tennessee, very hard to beat at home. Mike Vrabel is going to rally the troops. They hate the Jaguars. They want to end the Jaguars' season. The Jaguars ended their season the year prior. They're going to be really motivated. They're going to be really fired up. One thing to watch, I don't know if we have an – we probably don't have an answer on this yet. We'll get it tomorrow. Does Christian Kirk come back? Because I think that's a very big deal. It's not a coincidence that Jacksonville started losing once Christian Kirk got hurt. So if he comes back, 
I think I would narrowly take Jacksonville to not cover, but get scared, maybe be trailing the whole game, and then give the Titans another heartbreaking like game-winning touchdown at the end like their other home losses. Uh, but if Christian Kirk doesn't play, I think the Titans might outright beat them. So that designation will decide my pick. So for my videos, I have three bets. I'm going to say them as we go. And the first one was actually Titans. I took Titans plus three and a half. I didn't take them to win, but I took them to cover the three and a half. It has gone up to four and a half. But like last week, I noticed too, for example, the Colts were playing right now in the Raiders. I got the Colts line at, plus, at minus two and a half. That line jumped all the way up to, I believe, four and a half or five. And they won by three. So I got very lucky in that sense as well. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, and uh, I, I remember, I remember I was going to bet the Raiders that game and then decided not to at the last minute. And then I saw that the Colts were like leading most of the game. And I was like, Oh, thank God I didn't bet them. And then I saw that the Raiders ended up getting the cover at the very end. So yeah. Backdoor back opens are always scary. Um, Minnesota, Detroit. I got nothing to say. This seems like a Detroit get right game after what happened last week. I don't want to go into details on what happened. I still think Dan Campbell should have taken the points. Danny and I talked about it a bit on Tuesday, but I think this is just a game where Detroit gets everything right going into the playoffs. Yeah, I'm curious how much the starters play because, you know, the other teams have kind of declared their intentions. Like Sean McVay is benching their guys. The Chiefs are benching their guys. The Browns are benching their guys. And then, you know, you have teams like the Cowboys that need to win, that are playing everyone. Like, the Lions are kind of in the middle where it sounds like the starters are going to play, but we, we don't really know for how long. So that's what makes it kind of kind of tricky to kind of predict how this goes because the Lions are locked into the three seed no matter what. Uh, so I think narrowly I'll take the Vikings on the off chance that maybe they pull Goff at halftime or something like that because I think the, the Lions, they could get the two seed if both the Cowboys and the Eagles lose. But relying on both of those things to happen kind of seems unlikely. Uh, so I think by halftime, if like the uh, – actually, wait, they, they wouldn't know because the Cowboys and Eagles play later. But nonetheless, yeah. I, I think – because of the possibility that the Lions can pull starters, I'll just take the Vikings. Simple as that. I think, too, if there's, if it's by, like, the third quarter and the game's out of hand either way, or even if it's, like, this game, you know, 14-6, to six, but one team's clearly getting outplayed, that's where I can see starters getting pulled as well, where it's just, hey, guys, come in here. Give Teddy Bridgewater his roses as well, considering he's probably going to retire at the end of the year. Not, like, a Hall of Fame career or anything like that, but just, you know what, let Teddy get in there and get some snaps as we go into his last game, last game as a Lion. I say that, too, because I doubt he'll get there in the playoffs, like, knock on wood. Uh, Cleveland, Cincinnati. I don't. I don't really care. I'm. I, I'm just gonna say Cincinnati just because I don't think they cover the seven, but I just think, you know, Cleveland's not playing anyone. Jeff Driscoll, Jake Browning. I trust Jake Browning over J- Jeff Driscoll. If that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, I'm gonna just gonna take the Bengals. I have no idea on the spread because like it's the Bengals are ugly. always. Yeah, it's ugly because like even if the Bengals win, are they gonna cover seven points with Jake Browning? Like oh. I. It's tough. Like it's not like the Browns. And I, I give a lot of TV analysts a good job for talking about this. They've really heart, narrowed the point home this week, more so than prior week 18s that I can remember. That you can't bench like every single starter, especially on a defense. Like yeah. you know, defense ends rotate throughout the game. You know, most teams play with four or five, cor- five or six cornerbacks these days. So you can't bench literally everyone. So maybe the Browns defense has like enough good players in there to keep the game close. Um, but I I have no way of predicting this one. I, I would just take the Browns to win, no feel on the spread. And, you know, I mean, not the Browns. I meant to say the Bengals. The Bengals to win, no feel on the spread. The Bengals are 0-5 in the division. So at home especially, I kind of do think they may care about winning just to make sure that they don't go winless in the division. But, yeah, Brown, I mean, Bengals to win the spread, 
don't, don't bet this game. There's there's so many other games you can bet. Don't bet this game. Exactly. And I didn't bet this next game, but two announcements with this game. One, good friend of the program. He hasn't been on the show yet, but we did the collapse of the Great Cup, jo- uh, my buddy Josh. He has actually gone down from Ontario down to Charlotte. He is covering this game for our media outlet, Cryer, tomorrow. So he'll be in the press box at Bank of America Stadium. And I have a bold prediction for this game. I don't think it's crazy that the Carolina Panthers pull this one off. I don't. Because everyone's expecting, you know, Tampa go in there, take care of business. The four and a half number, I'm not betting it, but it's very tempting. I sillyly took them last week at six and a half and they got killed. But it's that divisional feel-out game, especially, too, with Tampa. Like, last week, they did not look impressive. Like, they had the great game two weeks ago against the Jags. And then last week, the Saints kind of went in there and then ran their show. So, I don't know if the Panthers will win, but I definitely think they'll keep it close. I saw a great tweet. I forgot who said it. That you could probably make a lot of money betting the NFL if you just fade the NFC South winner every week, no matter yeah. like who it's been. Like at, at one point, it was the Saints who've been horrible against the spread this year. I believe yep. they are. I believe they are five, ten, and one against the spread going into this game. Like something horrible. And then you know the Falcons were leading the division for a little bit there, and then they started losing. And then the Bucks last week they lose now. I feel like you make a lot of money just fading the NFC South winner. I think it would be a fitting ending to this yep. bad division that the team that can win this division, all they have to do is beat the worst team in the NFL and they blow it. And then the game comes down to the winner of Atlanta, New Orleans instead. I just think that poetically makes sense. I think Tampa Bay deserves it more than more than the Saints do, but I think poetically that makes a lot of sense. So for that reason, I'm going to pick the Panthers outright. I, I, you know what? I'm going to do it too, just because, like I said, there's that like weird feeling inside. And then we jump right to it with New Orleans and Atlanta, where this is a game, honestly, I think both head coaches could probably get fired. If you talk to my father, who's a noted Saints fan, he wants Pete Carmichael gone. He wants Dennis Allen gone. Saints fans just want like a whole regime change. But when it comes to things like this, I just think that I, for as much as I like the Saints, I think this is a Falcons win just because I feel like the Saints do this where they'll get a win and then the net, like kind of like what they did against the Giants. They had a great game against the Giants. Next week they went into L.A., and L.A. just kind of took care of business. I could see tomorrow Atlanta doing the exact same thing, especially, to the fact that Atlanta is the underdog in this game at that plus-three number. Yeah, I'm in agreement. I think the Saints are bad against the spread. They're yeah. bad as favorites. They have been all year. Terrible as favorites. So I think that – it is a good bet to kind of trust the. I've all. I've this whole year. I've kind of trusted the Falcons a little bit more. I know it's not like borne out in the numbers necessarily, but for whatever reason, like they just, I, they have some. They have really, really, really high level offensive skill players with Pitts, London, and Bijan. And I know everyone always complains that they're not always maximized, but the talent is there. And then on defense. Yeah. On defense, they had a pro bowler in Jesse Bates, who might be first-team All-Pro at the same Great offseason signing. Yeah, and then uh, David Onyemata has come back the last couple of weeks to go alongside with Brady Jarrett. So, like, I I think that the, I, I've always just kind of trusted the Falcons a little bit more, I will I will admit. And I don't trust the Saints as favorites. So, wouldn't this be the perfect way to end the NFC South? The Bucks, who have it on a silver platter, blow it. And then it's like, okay, now the Saints – they just have to win a home game against the Falcons. They blow it. And then the 8-9 and nine Atlanta Falcons, who everyone hates, who everyone wrote off like a week ago, they're the ones that actually end up winning this division. They were my preseason pick to win this division, and I'm going to stick with it because it's still alive. 
Falcons win outright. And we got a ball game now in Indianapolis. Now it's tied at 14 after they got the two-point. Um, last time they played, Bijan went 16 carries for 91 yards, and Drake London had five receptions at 91. They both had 91 yards rushing and receiving as well. Um, this next game, I hate to say this because of draft positioning, but circumstances, opponent, everything involved, New England's winning this game. I'm sorry. I hate that they're doing it. I know they need to lose for draft positioning. And especially if Belichick's going out, there's no way that he's not going out by just sticking it to the Jets one last time. I'm sorry. Danny's going to love hearing this, but that's just, I think, what's going to happen. I just don't, I just can't see a world where the Pats lose tomorrow. Yeah, I'm with you. In fact, I haven't said it, in, I haven't said it to start. The Fab Five, the first play in the Fab Five was, sorry, the first play in the Fab Five was the Ravens today, um, which mm-hmm. did not crash. It should have. They were in the red zone. Tyler Huntley, if he just escapes the pocket there, I think he at minimum gets a first down. Maybe he scores. I was very upset. I really thought that was going to cash. So that's a loss for the Fab Five. But my four, I have four other Fab Five picks, as we all know. And one of the picks that I have made already uh, was, in fact, the Titans, which we talked about earlier. And yep, also, on this list, also on this list is the Patriots because they've won 16 straight against the Jets. It's Belichick against a bad quarterback. Even though it's – the Patriots have been – winning lately the past few weeks, like even though it's not good for them. Like it's not like Belichick cares about the draft position. He's probably not even going to make the pick. And I, I'm sure you and a lot of Patriot affiliates of the podcast will have a lot to talk about. Uh, I, I don't want to disrespect the man by assuming it's happening until we know for sure. But yeah, so I, I think very clearly Belichick's going to go out. And I think this talk about fitting, wouldn't this be a fitting way to end the Belichick era in New England? Like, I, I was listening to Around the NFL podcast and Greg Rosenthal, who is a Patriots fan and a big, big Belichick admirer for a very long time. He said that this is kind of like when a very famous band has to come out for the encore at the end of the concert and they have yeah. to play like the most famous song. Like U2 has to end the song with end the show with, with or without you. Arcade Fire has to end it with Wake Up. Like all these bands like coming out at the end, it's like, ah, oh, we got to play the hits. We got to play the classics. And this is the encore. Like you think the show's over, the Belichick career's over. We need him to come out on stage one more time and play his greatest hit, play the classics, play the Bill Belichick embarrassing the Jets for no reason. And I'm on it. I'm on the Patriots minus one and a half. And I believe Robert Sala is 0-8 straight up against the AFC East on the road. I read that stat. Um, it checks out from what I remember. But yeah. I think so. Yeah. yeah. Like I'm like my thing. So my second bet for my video is Patriots money line. I just took it outright just because, like I said, there too. Here's the other thing as well. Um, last two weeks they were huge underdogs against Denver and against Buffalo. They covered both. I remember I was getting told like oh, the Patriots are going to get their show run. I'm like no. Like if you look at last week's game, if it weren't for Bailey Zappi having some heinous turnovers, Patriots very well could have won that game against Buffalo. Josh Allen did not do anything in particular, which we'll talk about him in a little bit. That's just one thing I want to throw out to you. It's just, it's poetic justice more than anything, I feel. And also, too, because I know if we win, I know I like, I, I can't give it to Danny because we ruined the draft, but we'll see what happens. But ultimately, at the end of the day, I've got a lot of, believe me, the Patriots powwow is coming next week. Next Thursday night, McGar- my buddy McGarvin will be here. We're going to break it all down. We're going to powwow about them. And that's pretty much the gist of that. Um, as Actually, now we bleed this into the 4 o'clock window where we have Green Bay and Chicago. And last year, Chicago's in the exact same position. And I got something to tell you. I think the same thing's happening this year. 
the Bears right now are giving me the 21 Lions vibes where it's like, hey, things are going to get starting hot, and you know, and next year everyone's going to be talking about them to make that leap. I actually have a crazy take about the Bears right now. Next year, they're that team that's picked to, like, you know, hey, just get off to a good start, do everything like that. I can see them being that, like, 1-3, and 1-4 team that, like, fires Eberflus right out of the gate. You know? Yeah, because, yeah, the expectations are going to be very high. And yeah. it, they still have a quarterback decision to make. I know that's a whole offseason topic in and of itself. Um, I am still of the opinion that the right thing to do is to get Caleb Williams. I understand I understand the improvement Fields has made. I don't disagree with it. I think it's true. I think the element of this discussion that a lot of people have been missing is that when you comment on this decision about whether or not the Bears should keep Fields, you have to mention the economics. And if you don't mention the economics, I don't think you're giving the decision its full weight. Like, do you, as a franchise, you have to pick up Justin Fields' fifth-year option. It's due. Yeah. At the end of the season, that's $20 million. Are you comfortable giving Justin Fields $20 million? Let me ask you an even scarier question. Are you comfortable yeah. giving him a five-year max extension? And let me ask you, if your answer to that is no, why the hell are you turning down the chance to draft Caleb Williams when you're not yet sure that this is the guy you want moving forward? And if you are sure, if you're so sure that you won't even take Caleb Williams, then just extend him. And then, so that's the problem for me. And that's why I do still kind of think that they're going to end up drafting Caleb because it's going to create a situation where even if Justin Fields is better than Caleb Williams right now in 2024, like Caleb Williams would be on a rookie contract. Justin Fields is still on his rookie deal, yes, but you're going to have to commit future cap space to him no matter what, whether it's the fifth-year option or an extension. And so now you have to ask yourself, in three years, even if they're similar, even if you're that big of a Fields fan and you think they're similar, in three years, Fields is making like $30 million, whereas yep. Caleb Williams is making very little. Also think about it from the GM's perspective, which is why I think this decision is interesting, because there could be a disparity between the GM and the head coach. From the GM's perspective, when you draft a rookie quarterback, it usually buys you another year. Like yep. That's why Ryan like that's why people praised Ryan Pace for drafting Fields in the first place. It's like, okay, you get a new young quarterback in, you know, you it's understood that rookie quarterbacks are not expected to win big right away. And if you fire the GM and you fire the coach, then you have to get a new offensive coaching staff, and that hurts the rookie quarterback. So it tends to buy a GM more time. However, from Matt Eberflus's perspective, to your point, Matt Eberflus is not so established as a head coach that he yep. can survive like a 2-14 and 14 season. So I wouldn't be surprised at all if Eberflus wants them to keep Fields, but Ryan Poles wants to take Caleb Williams. I think their incentives are different in this regard because what helps Ryan Poles' job security is not what helps Matt Eberflus' job security. So um, I think this game could be a real decider on what they do. Yeah. And I know it sounds and, – and it may seem reactionary to do it based off one game, but this game is the difference between going 7-10 and 10 and 8-9. and nine. Their win total was 7.5. So this game yeah. actually is the difference on their win total. And Fields, for all the good he's done, you don't see it a lot against good teams. And much like last year, their season is over for like three months, and then he starts to play well towards the end. And it's like, how much credit do we give this because of what's been happening all year long and what, what was happening in September? You know? Like, if, if, if they keep Fields – 
and then they go one and three next September, the vibes are going to be awful. It's going to oh, be, it's going to be, we turned down Caleb Williams for this. It's going to be so bad. Uh, so I think that if Fields does do what the Lions and Jared Goff did last year, then I think, okay, eight, nine, you ruined the Packers season. You get some optimism going into the off season. It's a little bit easier to justify like just running it back with Fields. But if he loses, and especially if he like gets embarrassed like he did in week one, when I watched that game because I was on the Bears that game and he was terrible against the Packers in week one. If he if he plays like that again, it's going to be like, are we sure? Are we really sure we want to do this for another year? Uh, so I think this game is a massive, massive game for the career of Justin Fields. I'm going to take the Packers narrowly just because the Packers and the Bears is kind of like the Patriots and the Jets. Uh, but it would not surprise me at all if the Bears win. They've been playing a lot better lately. So here's my logic with the Justin Fields thing. I think that, you know what, I think you go Caleb Williams. I know, like, look, Matt Eberflus' job security is one thing, but the fact that you have this cost-control quarter, you have cost-control quarterbacks the next four years, you have top three cap spending money. I believe they're over $80 million they have to spend. Your defense looks great. Jalen Johnson, by the way, stud of a cornerback for them right now. Tyreek Tyreek Stevenson as well, great rookie rookie DB. And then even, too, I want to give a shout-out quickly to one player on their team, Cole Komet, because I criticized that contract extension that he signed, and he is really proving that he was worth the money as well for him. So, But with this game, like I said, I'm just going to go Bears because I feel like it's going to add to that suspense of the offseason to where it makes the decision harder for polls on what to do. But at the end of the day – like, I expect Justin Fields to go somewhere like maybe Atlanta or the Rams, you know, like a team like a team that, like, hey, they need quarterback, but they got weapons around them as well. Um, and also, too, while we were doing this, I realized we'd skipped over a game, which was Blaine Gabbard and Easton Stick. No one really cares about this game. It's boring. It's bad. Uh, I'm going to say Chiefs just because they're the team I trust, and the Chargers season has just been one big lull, even though we fucking lost to them. Uh, so that's that. Next game we have, though is Raiders and Broncos, and my last bet for my video is Raiders minus three, because like the Patriots and the Jets, like the Bears and the Packers, the Raiders have the Broncos number, and I expect the Raiders to, you know, they're at home. Fun fact, too, I believe that they are 7-0 and against Denver at home in their last seven home games as well, so it's been a while since the Broncos have won in Oakland slash Vegas. And as well, for as weird as this is to say, I trust Aiden O'Connell more than I trust Jared Stidham. Jared Stidham last week, I watched the game a lot on Red Zone. He kind of did the bare minimum and he got by. Meanwhile, I feel like the Raiders day, the Raiders are going to make his life a little more difficult. And like I said, too, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Plus this as well, I really hope that Mark Davis has learned his lesson and makes Antonio Pierce the head coach of the Raiders. Not a Raiders fan, but what he's doing there, you can tell, like, look, They've done some miraculous things. Sure, they beat teams like the Jets and the Giants. They hung up 60-plus against the Chargers. They went into Kansas City on Christmas and beat the Chiefs. If that's not saying head coaching material, then I don't know what does, you know? Yeah, no, I fully agree. And I think that for that reason, the Raiders are going to care. They're mathematically eliminated, but they're going to fight Antonio Pierce. And I think you'll get a resilient effort. And are the Broncos on the road mathematically eliminated? Do they like Sean Payton? Do they like how Sean Payton treated Russell Wilson, even though they won? You know, are they going to put forth the same effort? So, yeah, I think I can go either way. Like, if you asked me, like, a month ago, I probably would have said the Broncos win. But now, kind of with everything going on, it kind of does feel like Antonio Pierce is going to make, like, one last, like, big move to kind of prove to ownership that he deserves the job. So, for that reason, 
I'm going to go Raiders. I like your bet. I like minus three. Yeah, so that's my three bets for this week. It's Titans minus three and a half. Titans, not Titans plus three and a half, excuse me. Ra- Patriots money line. Raiders minus three plus 565. I got it for on DraftKings. Um, also, too, the uh, – yeah, so right now, uh, I'm looking right, right here. Uh, the last – so with the Raiders and the Broncos, in their last one, two, three, four, five, six, seven games – the Raiders are 6-1 and one against the spread as well. So just something of note to point out there for all you gambling degenerates. And plus two, minus three seems like an easy cover. I can even see this game potentially being a push, but, but, but ultimately we'll have to wait and see. The Raiders won me a ton of money on Christmas Day when I bet on them against the Chiefs. They were like plus 10. And I, I'll never forget, they were plus 10.5 in Arrowhead. I bet them, and they lost by 11 points. And I was like so upset. I was like, damn it, they deserve to cover this number. They just barely missed and then they were plus 10. Uh, oh, my bad. They were plus 11. They were plus 10 and a half in Vegas. And then they were plus 10 and a half in Arrowhead. I bet it again. And this time they covered and won outright. So that was So awesome. I think you know this by now, but I hate betting the Chiefs against the spread. And I'm in a spread pool. Last week, I went 12 and 4. I had a great week bet on spread uh, against the spread. The one missing one that cost me, because every week it's $100 buy-in. It costs, and you basically, if you win a week, you win your money back. The one game that cost me the money, Bengals plus 7 and a half. And they lost by eight with a series yeah. of field goals, six field goals. That's brutal. That's brutal, man. Such a bad beat. Um, New York, New York Giants. Excuse me, taking on the Philadelphia Eagles. There's only a couple things to care about in this game. One, how do the Eagles rebound? Because Jesus Christ, they need to rebound. Even though I took Arizona last week on the spread. The other, Boston Scott anytime touchdown because I'm a sicko and I'm going to bet it again because it's just it's tradition. I know he didn't do it on Christmas, but there's no way he's not going to do it in MetLife. Everyone's got to watch the Griff Sports Talk uh, video on Christmas Day about his touchdown parlays with Boston Scott. It was it was an absolute joy, I, m- I must say. High-quality content, and I hope it hits this time. Yeah, uh, it did not hit last time. I went 0 for 3 on Christmas, but this past Sunday we did great. Uh, I'll run uh, – you, you talk. I'm going to look it up again because I forgot about what I bet last weekend. So I like, uh, I like the Giants here. They're another pick in the Fab Five. I forgot to mention the Bucks. I'm still debating between the Bucks and the Packers, so I could change that. But for now, I got Panthers. I mean, not Bucks. Their opponent, the Panthers, is obviously what I meant. Panthers plus four and a half. Uh, Titans plus four. Ravens, which didn't hit. And nope. now pa- Patriots. Patriots. And then Giants. So I think the Giants are going to win this game outright. I've been on this for weeks. I, I always thought the Eagles – I never got fooled by the Eagles having the tiebreaker over Dallas those couple of weeks. To me, yep. it was like obvious that Dallas is the better team. Like we all know that Dallas should have beaten them the first time. And then they kicked their ass in the rematch. Clear sign that they're the better team. And so for me, even though Philly had those tiebreakers, everyone kept pointing to how easy their schedule was. And I never really bought it. I was like, wait, wait, hold on. The Cardinals coached by Jonathan Gannon, who knows not just the Philly defense, but the Philly offense very well yep. too. Like I, I don't, I don't buy this. I, I think that's going to be a harder game than people think. I was also on Arizona plus twelve, uh, that obviously covered very easily. You knew right away that that one was going to cash. But furthermore, this is a very tricky spot for, for the, for the Eagles because you're playing a division opponent twice in three weeks. This yep. is very tricky. This also applies to the Lions Vikings, but that obviously is complicated by the fact that the Lions are maybe pulling starters and you kind of yeah. can't, can't really evaluate it the same way. But nonetheless. It's really hard to beat a division opponent twice in three weeks. I know this because in 2017, the Patriots played the Dolphins in Foxborough. The Patriots beat the Dolphins' ass with Matt Moore. 
Two weeks later, they rematched in Miami on Monday Night Football. And everyone was like, well, I just saw the Patriots kick their ass. The Patriots were the one seed in the AFC at the time. It's like, obviously, the Patriots are going to destroy them. And then, yeah, that was Xavier Howard's breakout game, picking off old man Tom twice. And that game was a great example of, like, years and years of, like, the Patriots always losing in Miami, but no one ever seeing it coming. It's like that game was just another in the long line of examples of it. It's like, yeah, they're, the Dolphins are more live to win this game than you might think. They always play the Patriots well down here, and it's twice in three weeks. I think if you play twice in three weeks, kind of like I mentioned with the Dolphins-Bills thing at the start of the show, that helps the worst team. Because the worst team, especially if the rematch is in their building, which it is for New York in this case. Yeah, the worst team, yeah they, ha- they have more to learn from the first game. Because if Eagles were like eight points better, right? then the Giants have things they can improve upon that can narrow the gap. And then you throw home field advantage in there on top of that. So I think the Giants the Giants might have won that game in Philly if Tyrod started the whole game because they were really struggling with Tommy Cutlets in that first half. So they only lost by eight points, and Tyrod had a shot in the end zone to potentially tie the game at the very end. So I think the Giants are going to win this game. I, obviously, I like them on the spread, but I think they're going to win outright. And I think Brian Dable is going to be really motivated. I think this is their Super Bowl trying to end the Eagles season or at least end their possibility of winning the division. I think they're going to give a great effort here. And I think with Tyrod, I think winning the division twice in three weeks thing is hard. Here's another example from this year. Chiefs, Broncos. They beat the Broncos Mm -hmm. in football. They rematch two weeks later in Denver. This is key. Much like the Dolphins-Patriots example, the rematch has to be in the underdog's building, which it is in this case. It wasn't yeah. Dolphins-Patriots. It wasn't Chiefs-Broncos. The Chiefs hadn't beaten the uh, – the Broncos hadn't beaten the Chiefs in eight years, and they kicked their ass because, again, rematches are tricky. We're playing people twice in three weeks. That's tricky. Your teams aren't that different, you know? It's not like, like Dolphins-Bills, like they played a long time ago, but the teams are very different from what they looked like back then. So it's it's a little like it, it, there's more variance there. Anything can really happen. The first game doesn't really mean as much. Whereas in this case, the teams are still very similar because the game was only two weeks ago. So I think the Giants are going to win outright. And another reason why I like this bet is because the Eagles and the Cowboys, they play at the same time. So yeah. if the Eagles are seeing that the Cowboys are up by like 15, 20 points. What's to stop Sirianni from like pulling Jalen Hurts, pulling starters? Like unlike the Lions game, the Cowboys game is at the same time. So they can literally make their decision and decide to pull starters to protect them for the playoffs the next week. Once they're like reasonably sure that Dallas is going to win and the game and their game against the Giants doesn't matter, they can pull starters. But let me be very clear on this. Even if the Eagles starters play the entire game, I still like this bet. I'm still going to pick the Giants to win outright. Uh, the Giants are – the Eagles are an overrated team, and Danny is a moron for not realizing how bad this team was when they were 10-1. I kept telling him over and over and over again, they did nothing to cause Marquez Valdez-Scantling to drop that pass. That was not the DB making a great play. They literally contributed nothing to the outcome of that play, and it would have changed the results of the game. Sometimes you just get lucky. Sometimes it's not championship grit, championship winning DNA. Bullshit. It was bullshit at the time. They were getting lucky. They were an overrated team. He was wrong. I was right, as always, and they deserved to falter down the stretch like they did. That, that may be the first of many rants to come to Danny uh, through the show. So I just wanted to throw that in there. But, yes, I like the Giants to win outright. Love the Giants on the spread. Appreciate it. Um, I'm going to take Giants on the spread, too. I just think, you know what, they'll keep it close. I can see 
I'm going to say Philly to win just because it's one of those things that would be so Philly for them to squeak out like a three- or four-point win that they had no business winning, you know, in typical Philly fashion. But at the same time, too, if the Giants won this game, it wouldn't shock me considering for them they have a lot of questions to answer this offseason. Who's going to be a quarterback? they got to get some receivers in there. they got to beef up the offensive line. Defense for them is looking good, but they got to improve, I think, some of the linebacking position as well and the defensive line as well. So we'll see what happens with the New York Giants this offseason. But this is a perfect, like, you know, go out on the high note kind of football game. Um, Arizona-Seattle, I'm going to say the exact – I want to say the exact same thing. I really, really do. But I feel like with Arizona, this is that perfect letdown spot because you had such a big win last week. But they're a very resilient team. I also want to say this right now. You know how we're watching a game. I don't know if you're watching the game, but you know how Arizona, um, Houston, Indy, two teams last year really bad in the draft? Yeah. I think going into next year, I don't know much of a hot take this is. I could see Arizona being one of those teams to make a rise where it's like they're right in the thick of things come December, January. I'm not saying they're going to be good, but Arizona could be like that, hey, like watch out for them going into the 24. Because remember, they do have two first-round picks. Kyle, I don't think they're going to go quarterback. If they are in the position to draft, I do think they take Harrison or they take Neighbors. We'll see how they do. But as it goes to pertains to this football game, I, I, I like Seattle. I'm going to say that. I think this is a rebound for Seattle. This, to me, is one of the hardest games to pick on the whole slate. I, I, I know that sounds crazy, but like I, I – You're going to have a weird number. It's, it's a weird number. The game's in Arizona. You know, Jonathan Gannon is kind of giving me some 2019 Dolphins vibes, you know, like Brian Flores' first year where they were supposed to tank. They're supposed to be horrible. They're supposed to be the worst team in the league. And they're kind of resilient. Even before Kyler got back, they're kind of like fighting and staying tight in a lot of these games, even though they're losing. And then they kind of like the, the, the those 2019 Dolphins, they ended the year 5-11. and 11. And the yeah. Cardinals are right now, the Cardinals right now are 4-12. and 12. So if they win, they'd be 5-12. and 12. And they kind of give me that vibe that they're like tougher and better than people think. And I, I just think they're a well-coached team. I think one of the lessons of the 2023 season, and I think most people realize this by now, is that Jonathan Gannon and Shane Steichen uh, deserved a lot of credit for that yeah. Super Bowl last year. And I think everyone is kind of little by little realizing, wow, this defense is so much worse without Jonathan Gannon and largely the same personnel. And the offense, while still good, is nowhere near as good as it was with Shane Steichen. And it's especially worse situationally. Like, it's worse in the red zone. It's worse on third downs. Like, stuff that, like, creative play callers really make a difference. So, yeah, I think, like, uh, uh, what's his name? Um, oh, fuck, I'm trying. Bo Wolf. <clears throat> Bo Wolf and Zach Berman, they do, like, I think they, they do a show about the Eagles. And Bo Wolf was on the Around the NFL podcast, and he said that if the Eagles lose the next few games, it really wouldn't surprise him if Nick Sirianni gets fired. And his reason was because – he thinks, in his opinion, that ownership and the GM, they uh, do not give much credit to Sirianni for that run. They give more of the credit yep. to the personnel to the personnel, and then to Steichen and, and Gannon. Uh, so, yeah, I, the, Cardinals, the Cardinals are well coached. I think they're going to bounce back next year. I got no clue. So I'm going to go uh, – I'm going to go Arizona. Why not? Why not? Um, my thing, too, with the whole Sirianni stuff is as well um, – what was I going to say? If they lose wild card weekend, Philly fans are going to want them out, regardless if they win the division, regardless if they're in the five seed, just the way the last month of the season went. But if they go on a miraculous run, you know, uh, you know, if they go on the, if they go on a run for the last bit of the season, it, you know what? Dom DeSandro may have had a bigger part in that than we all assumed. So that's that's the thing with them too. Uh, but with this game, like I said, I'm just throwing darts at a dartboard, and I expect Seattle to bounce back. 
Um, also, too, um, graphics are in all caps, so that's why that happened. Um, San Francisco, L.A., I'm going to say this right now. I'm just going to go with what I know. I'm going to say Rams over uh, – I'm going to say Niners over Rams, excuse me, um, in the Ginger Bowl, too. But I'm going to say something with this game. Carson Wentz has a really big opportunity to pr- prove himself for 2024. I know there's a lot of people that are against him, but he has a chance to, you know what, hey, be on a roster instead of getting signed in November, getting signed in the spring. You know, if he goes and shows that, some team's going to take a chance on him saying, hey, let's bring him in as a backup, you know? Yeah, maybe maybe it's even the Rams. Maybe the Rams – like yeah. you know, Stafford's, Stafford's getting old, and clearly they're an ascending team. I know they went down last year, but now they're going to be a lot better. Maybe they think, okay, if Stafford gets hurt, let's trust Carson instead of giving it over to some rookie. Uh, but, yeah, I like San Fran in this game. Uh, both – like San Fran owns the Rams. We know this. They beat them all the time. And now it's like they own them and the Rams are benching guys. Yeah, San Fran. No, no, yep. no, no, no harm or no foul. No, no harm, no foul as well. Um, the one thing I will say about this, though, this whole dynamic, though, is that if you are the Niners, you do not want to see the Rams again after this. That's the one thing I'm going to say right now. Yeah, um, I, in a weird way, the Niners would almost prefer playing those NFC East teams, whether it's Dallas or Philly, because they just like they've beaten the hell out of them, and there's not that variance. Like there is, like you never want to see a division opponent. There's just variance yeah. there because we know each other so well. Yeah. Exactly, and then uh, Washington, Dallas, Dallas. I don't know how big – I don't know if they're going to cover 13 points. I know they absolutely dog-walked them on Thanksgiving. But for a game like this, I think that Dallas wins. And you know what? We have to live in the suffering agony until they do something very stupid and they go to, you know, out in the playoffs like they always do. So that's, yeah. that's all I have to say about this game. Yeah, you know, I was thinking, like, maybe the commanders will pull a resilient performance at home. But I'm just not sure – Howell is playing worse as the year gone has gone along, which saddens me because I like him, and the last like month has been kind of tough for him. And the last good game was against the Patriots. You can say it. That that's true. <laughs> but the notable exception, of course. But yeah. it's weird. It's weird though. Like the Commanders, like everyone knows they're getting fired. Everyone, head coach, GM, most of the players on the roster realize they're probably going to be playing somewhere else next year. Like I just don't. I really wonder. Like if the Cowboys go up by like two touchdowns. Is Washington going to have, like, the fortitude to come back? Or are they just going to be like, you know what, we're done here. Like, I'm sure the owner is rooting for them to lose because right now they have the second overall pick. So, I yeah, like, even though I can't – even the plus 13 – you know me, home division underdog of plus 13. That's normally money for me. But yeah. I don't know. I just, like – that stadium is going to be half Cowboys fans. I, I just oh, don't not know. Not more. If not more, yeah, especially this late in the year. What the hell? Like, which Commanders fans are going to go to a game? It's going to be cold. Who the hell is going to go there at this time of the year to watch this game? So I, I just – I don't know. Like, I, it goes against my rules, but I'm actually going to take the Cowboys on the spread uh, just because they need the game, and I just – I don't trust Washington to put up a fight. I don't think the Washington players believe, like the Raiders players, hey, we need to have a good performance to help Ron Rivera keep this job. Ron Rivera is not keeping that job, and everyone knows nope. it. So – yeah, I think I think they have their golf bags in the ba- their golf bags in the locker room, as Joe Judge once said. It's a pretty much too. It's a golf equivalent of trunk slamming, where it's just look, get down at the round, throw your clubs in the bag, slam the trunk, get the hell out of there. It's pretty much that, or like the whole equivalent. Same thing with the NBA too. The U-Hauls are packed, vacations are booked. Most of these guys are gonna be in Cancun next week anyway. Um, before we talk about our last game, there's one more game I gotta talk to you about. Of course. It's a simple question. Stupid <laughs> graphics will work. Oh, there we go. They were. Right. Oh, well. Got to ask you the question. Alex Larson's going to be here tomorrow night to break it down from the Huskies' point of view. Very excited for him. But I got to ask you, I'm going to give my pick tomorrow night. Who do you have winning Monday's national championship? 
I have the Michigan Wolverines. I think they've been the best team in college football all year. I had them last week. I know Alabama was kind of a popular pick by a lot of people. I was on Michigan. I have the text to prove it. And uh, I think they've been the most consistent. Oh, and you as well. I think Michigan has been the most consistent team all year. I understand that they kind of bore some people because they don't have like an explosive passing game like some of the other top teams in college football do. But, I mean, obviously McCarthy is going to be a highly drafted quarterback. It's not like they don't have talent in their passing game. But the nonetheless, and, the de- and, and also like Blake Corum and uh, Donovan Edwards are studs. And Blake Corum, like, is, is like what he did against Bama, that run that he had in overtime, that was like a heart of a champion kind of run. That was like a, I am putting the team on my back and I'm going to run through a wall for them. So I think they just, there's, there's nothing wrong with their resume. They beat everybody by double digits, all the bad teams. They beat by double digits consistently. They went at Penn State. They won pretty convincingly. It ended up being a nine-point game, but Michigan dominated that game if you watch the whole thing. They beat Ohio State, who was the number one team in the country at that time, and they beat Alabama. Like, what is wrong with their profile? Like, nothing is wrong with their profile. I just think they've been the most consistent team. They have the more talented team. I think that Washington is not going to get those play those explosive plays in the passing game that they've been getting against Oregon and Texas. I don't know if Michigan's going to allow those plays. Michigan has a much better secondary. All their corners and safeties rank really highly in PFS coverage grades. I think they're not going to allow those deep plays. I think if Michael Penix wants to win this game with the passing game, it's going to have to be tight ends, slot receivers, running backs, stuff underneath. Like and Dylan Johnson was hurt in that Texas game. Is he, I guess they haven't announced, like, I think I think DeBoer said he's going to play, but he may not be 100%. Like, I think that matters a lot. I think Dylan Johnson was a big reason why they beat Oregon in the rematch. So if he's hurt or, like, compromised or only plays for half the game, I think that could really, really hurt Washington here because I just don't know if they're going to get those deep explosives off in the passing game. I think Penix is going to have to be patient. He's going to have to find underneath options. Michigan's D.C. Jesse Minter is viewed as a stud as a play caller, he's constantly changing coverages. He's constantly changing the pre-snap to post-snap look. And Penix is a great quarterback, but he's been just going for these bombs every week. And if they're not there, does he have the patience? Does he have resilience to kind of just wait it out, go to the second, third, fourth guy in the progression, find the underneath routes? And can he do that for an entire game? Even if he does that for a quarter, is he going to get greedy and throw a deep ball that he has no business throwing and throwing an interception? So I think that, uh, Michigan's the better team. I think what Michigan's going to stop the explosive passing game. And if you stop Washington's explosive explosive passes, I'm just not sure that they, they have another way to win if they can't win with their receivers. Uh, so for that reason, I'm going to take Michigan. But I think it'll be a good game. I think it'll be a close game. I respect Washington. It wouldn't surprise me at all if they won this game. I know I was down on them going into the Oregon game because they kind of struggled to end the year. They were playing close games against a lot of bad Pac-12 teams. But clearly – that Oregon game and the Texas game, they're a different team. They've had some guys on defense getting healthier. I do respect them. I do trust them. Uh, I think it'll be a fun game, but I, I got Michigan. The one thing I will say, though, is because last week – I'm so my bets last week, I bet at Bama because I was just like fading saving as an underdog seems silly, and I took the over in the Sugar Bowl because I figured explosive fireworks. The only thing I'm going to say about this game, the over-under is at 54 right now. I'm leaning towards under just because yeah. of Michigan's defense. This game I think is going to be very similar to what we saw in the Rose Bowl where it's slow between both teams and then eventually – like the third or fourth quarters where stuff kind of takes off and we get like another, you know, 24-20, 27-21, that style of football game. So I'm going to save my pick for tomorrow night also because I'm still weighing it and I got a Husky that I got to talk to as well. But anyway, Buffalo, Miami, for all the marbles. 
a stat that I learned this week that I find very fun. Tua is ranked fourth in the NFL against cover two, cover three, and cover four, which is a scheme that Buffalo really likes to run. I'm going to say this. There's two things behind this decision of where I think this game can go. How does Miami do when the lights shine bright? How does Josh Allen do considering Josh Allen? I know they've won a lot recently, but ever since the Dallas game, they've been very stagnate. They did not do anything impressive against the Chargers. They did not do anything impressive against the Patriots. Hell, they allowed a kickoff return on the first play of the game. So my big question for this game is, more than Buffalo, it's how does Miami rebound considering a lot of these good teams? Sure, an ass-whooping can happen in September, October. It's a lot different than it happening December 31st when we're so close to the postseason. So for that reason, I'm going to give my pick towards the end. I'm going to let you go on. But you get where I'm coming from. I want to see – also, here's the other thing. How does Mike McDaniel coach against Sean McDermott tomorrow night? Yeah, I think, you know, we've seen all the variations of this game. We've seen the Bills blowout. We've seen the Dolphins close win. We've seen the Bills close win. We've not seen the Dolphins blowout, but we have seen Bills, like, barely beating Skylar Thompson, which might as well have been a Dolphins blowout. They were 13-point underdogs that game. The fact that they made it that close means they performed much better than expected. Uh, so I, I, I am nervous, obviously. I have every right to be. Uh, I'll be there. Uh, I do think the Dolphins are going to win. I think that it's hard to sweep a division opponent. I think these are two top five teams in football. Every metric backs that. I think it, it's so predictable because I knew this would happen. Going into the Cowboys game, it's like the Dolphins haven't beaten a good team. They haven't beaten a good team. They finally beat a good team. And now here we are two weeks later, and the narrative still exists. And it's like, well, did, did, didn't we just two weeks ago? They, they just did this against a team that's going to be the two seed of the NFC. But because they got embarrassed by Baltimore, it's like that's what's fresh in everyone's minds. And I will just – a stat that I will say that I'm sure most people don't know. Danny Sherspock doesn't know it. The last three times the Dolphins played a playoff team at home, they've won, they've covered. And it stretches all the way back to 2021 when they beat Mac Jones and the Patriots week 18. Then they beat the Bills week three last year. And, this, and then they beat the Cowboys. And then this game. None of the Dolphins' big games are ever at home. They're always on the road. That three-game losing streak that everyone remembers last year against the Niners, the Chargers, the Bills, all three on the road. Eagles on the road this year. Bills on the road this year. Chiefs in Germany. Ravens on the road. They're all on the road, and it's distorted everyone's view because Tua is 19-6 and against the spread at Hard Rock Stadium, and he is 21-4 and straight up. These are in games where he plays the majority of snaps. Because that Ravens game in 2021 where Jacoby Brissett started, then Tua took over midway through, that doesn't go down as a Tua start, but they won and covered that game. He Tua started against the Bills in 2021, broke his ribs in the first quarter, and was out for the rest of the game. That counts as a, that counts as a Tua start, even though he only threw like four passes. So when you make those modifications, those are the numbers, people. 21-4 and four straight up, 19-6 and six against the spread. That against the spread number means that – Analysts and bookmakers and bettors are not pricing in the Dolphins' home field advantage enough. You are not pricing in that this is a much better team at home than people realize. And I think it's completely distorted everyone's views on the team the last two years. They resiliently won last year. The Bills, I think the key, what I think the key to this game is that Bills, the second Bills game last year. I I bring it up all the time on this podcast because it's probably the most forgotten game the last two years. When the Dolphins went on the road at Buffalo and played great. 
and the Bills just played a little bit better. Josh Allen just had a heroic fourth quarter. But the Dolphins played great and were on the verge of stealing and sweeping the Bills last year. And this is the most forgotten game. Everyone always brings up the game earlier this year. Everyone brings up week three last year and mentions that the heat was bad or that the Bills like significantly outgained the Dolphins. No one ever mentions that rematch in Buffalo before the Skylar Thompson game. It is completely forgotten in NFL history. And that game, the Dolphins offense played great on the road in bad weather, bad conditions. And there was a lot of space going to what you were saying about the cover two, the cover three, the cover four. Usually when teams play with so many deep safeties, the Dolphins fuck them up because there's so much space in the intermediate area that Tua can find Tyreek and Waddle on their inbreaking routes. If you play with cover two specifically, that's trickier because they're now like you have more defenders in the middle of the field, most likely. But when you play cover three or cover four and you have three or four safeties back there because you're so afraid of Tyreek Hill's speed, that creates so much space in the middle that the Dolphins love to exploit. Whereas cover two, again, makes it a little bit trickier. But cover three and cover four, no, nah, they, they feast on that stuff all day. I think Jalen Waddle's going to play. I think that's probably a surprise to people. But us locally in Miami have kind of expected that all week. It was always going to be 50-50, but he mentioned yesterday that he was in routes, running routes. He said he had no pain. That's a key. He had no pain when he was running those routes. Tyreek, if, if anybody here watches Hard Knocks, Tyreek Hill had pain in his ankle before he played against the Cowboys. He had pain during practice that week, but he still played and had like yeah. 100 yards. Jalen that's why he didn't Waddle play against like, the Jets. That's why he didn't play against the Jets. And Jalen Waddle has had no pain. So I think he's going to play. Will he be explosive? Will he like have a, over 150 catches, or 150 receiving yards? I don't know. Maybe not. Maybe he's just there as a decoy. But I think he's going to play. And I think that Jerome Baker is going to play. That's already confirmed. Duke Riley, the Dolphins' backup linebacker, is the guy that got exploited against Baltimore. Like, Baltimore beat us with Justice Hill and Isaiah Likely. They're running back in their tight end. It wasn't the cor- It wasn't really as much the receivers. I know that, that Zay Flower touchdown has gone viral, and that was a big play in the game. But most of the damage Baltimore did was through Justice Hill and Isaiah Likely, and that's attacking Duke Riley in coverage. Duke Riley's not going to be in coverage. Duke Riley's only going to play special teams this week because Jerome Baker's coming back. So I don't think that matters. Robert Hunt is coming back, and that's a really big deal. Robert Hunt, the Dolphins' starting right guard, has been out for like eight games. He's been out for the last month. He's coming back. He practiced full on Friday. He's completely healthy. The Dolphins are going to have three of their five offensive line starters in this game, which is not great, but I keep hearing how everyone talks about how there's backups all across the line. There's only two. Are you paying attention? There's only two. Like to all those people out there saying that, they're going to have three starters in this game. I think the off and the Bills' pass rush is stronger in the interior than it is on the edges. It's stronger with Daquan Jones and Ed Oliver than it is with Greg Rousseau and AJ Panessa, even though those guys are good too. So I actually expect that, of course, love my you. And lastly on this, the Bills don't have Matt Milano. Matt Milano did play in that first game. That's a big deal. The teams that really fuck up the Dolphins are the teams that have those elite inside linebackers that can take advantage of Tua's passing windows. We saw this with Fred Warner against the Niners last year. We saw this with Roquan Smith last week against the Ravens. And we saw it with Matt Milano earlier this year. Him not playing matters. I know Terrell Bernard has played well, but has he ever been tested by a Mike McDaniel kind of coach who's going to specifically have his head spinning, like reading run fits, going and seeing guys in motion, constantly going all over the field? Is Terrell Bernard ready for that responsibility? Because I'm not sure he is. And the game is not in Buffalo. So he's not going to have the benefit of the crowd noise helping him whenever the defense has the ball. So I actually think the Dolphins' offense is going to play better than people think. My bold prediction in this game is watch out for Devon Achan. Achan, 
as everyone knows, was explosive earlier in the year. He got hurt. He came yep. back. He got came hurt. back. He came back and he got hurt again. But he also kind of had some up and down games. Last week against Baltimore, he was awesome. Like he had over 100 yards from scrimmage. He had a receiving touchdown. You kind of started to see the early season A-chan again. That was kind of the first glimpse of it. It's going to be ignored nationally because they got blown out. But we saw that last week. This game's in Hard Rock. He's All, all his best games have been in Hard Rock. It would not surprise me at all if Devon A-chan has a really, really big game. I'm talking explosive runs. I'm talking plays out of the backfield as a receiver. Tua and Achan have been working on go balls a lot in practice. They haven't hit one yet, but they came very, very close in that Titans game. There was like a really, really good play where Achan slowed down on his route and didn't catch the ball. But I wouldn't be surprised me at all if Achan in the passing game, especially with Waddle being gimpy, if that's the secret key to this game that I feel like is not being covered enough by a lot of analysts. So I do think the Dolphins are going to win. I don't think they're soft. I think they're resilient. Now, can they beat Buffalo back-to-back weeks? If the Titans win against Jacksonville, that's trickier. Hopefully we don't have to talk about that next week. Hopefully they're playing Pittsburgh. Uh, But if the Dolphins lose, which could happen, it's a division game, I'll be hurt. But I'll know that there's still another playoff game. I'll know that, that, you know, there'll be kind of a trendy pick against the Chiefs because a lot of people don't want to pick the Chiefs right now. I, I wouldn't hate it. I don't love it. I think their chances of winning the Super Bowl go way down if they lose this week. But I think they could still win a playoff game if they lose this week. Now, they probably can't make a deep playoff run if they have to go play Baltimore in the divisional round. That's probably – like, even if they pull off that upset, it's going to be asking a lot to pull off that upset and then upset another team as well after that. So I think their Super Bowl window comes down to this week. But their chances of winning a playoff game are still alive, and that was the ultimate goal to start the year. So in my opinion, their season is not defined by this game. Their season is defined by whether or not they win in the wild card round. It becomes a lot easier to win in the wild card round if you win this week, for sure. But yep. what defines the season to me? I would love to make the Super Bowl. It would be awesome. It would be a great experience as a fan. I would be thrilled. But one step at a time. The goal was always just to win a playoff game. If they do that, I'll be happy. If they don't do that, I'll be sad. But if they do that, I'll be happy. And I think they'll still have a chance to do that. But yeah, I think the Dolphins got this. I think the Dolphins win a close, fun game. I'm going to go 23-20. The Sharps are on the Dolphins, by the way. The line was Bills minus three the whole week. Most of the money was on the Bills all week, yet the line dropped. For new bettors out there, that's usually a signal to watch for. When all the money's coming in on Buffalo, but the odds makers actually lower the line, if the money's coming in on Buffalo, they got to raise the line. But they actually lowered it instead because there's sharp money that's on the Dolphins, and they don't want to raise it to Dolphins plus three and a half because they know they're going to get hammered once they do. So I think smart money thinks the Dolphins are going to cover three. And if the Dolphins are going to cover three, the Dolphins are probably going to win this game. I, I 100% agree with that. I 100% agree, agree with the whole, if they if they are going to cover, they're going to win. I don't think there's any losing by three, losing by two, or losing like a 24-23. Um, I basically let you air all your grievances out with your Dolphins. One thing I'm going to say, though, when you alluded to this, I think this game goes under. I think everyone's going to be expecting fireworks because of what happened last time. Under 48.5 is a bet. I think if I were to place money on this game, that would be my bet. Under 48.5, I think we don't get a track meet tomorrow night. I don't think we get – I think the community plays into it. I think because of last week, children's going to expect a rebound. But I look back to one game with you guys, and that was the first time in, Buffalo, in the game in Buffalo. Week five, you guys come home, you play the Giants. You won still convincingly, but the game wasn't a crazy total. I think it was like – 31 to 16 or something like that, which I know would be closer to the total, but 
I do not see like a crazy 35 to 31 football game tomorrow. That was my other bet from last week. So my last week plays were the Bears money line, Colts on the spread, and then the over in Philadelphia, Arizona. That was my video last week. This week's video, you said it. It's going to get released probably after this podcast is done recording. Um, the only other thing I'll say as well is that, fun fact, Miami is 8-1 and one against the spread in their last nine games against the AFC East. 8-1 against the spread. And as well, uh, they're also 8-1 and one straight up in their last nine home games as well. I, I, think, I also think Buffalo – you mentioned it earlier that like Buffalo – I think Buffalo hasn't looked great the last two weeks. They could have easily lost to the Chargers. They could have lost to your Patriots. And a lot of people really aren't talking about that. They're kind of like, okay, they escaped with a win. Who cares? They lost to the Patriots once and then almost got swept by your New England Patriots. Like the Dolphins had, with all due respect, the Dolphins took care of business against the Patriots both times. It wasn't, they they led pretty much the entire game both times. The Patriots got out to like a 7-0 lead in the rematch. You, you know what I'm trying to say. Yeah, I, the Dolphins. The Dolphins murdered the Jets twice, both times. Beat the shit yep. out of them. They handled the Dolphins' offense played better against the Jets than any other team in the NFL. They played better than the Eagles. They played better than the Chiefs. They played better than the Bills. The Dolphins' offense gave the Jets more problems than anyone else. Dumbass Danny actually thought the Jets would beat the Dolphins after Tyreek Hill got ruled out, and they lost thirty to zero. An all-time horrible take, literally up there with the worst ever. Uh, I think the Dolphins have been the best team in the AFC East this year. Like, talking literally just the division, I don't think getting blown out by Buffalo once offsets the fact that they've been the better team in the AFC East division games this year. And I think they deserve to win this division for that reason. And lastly, Bradley Chubb, i I, sorry to go long, but I, I definitely do have to mention this. Yes, Bradley Chubb got hurt. Yes, that is a big deal. Yes, Bradley Chubb was probably the Dolphins' best defensive player this year. I know most people probably think it's Jalen Ramsey, and he has a case, but... Bradley Chubb has been a monster the last two months, and it hurts so bad to lose him after already losing Jalen Phillips. They do have depth. They have Andrew Van Ginkle, who's having a good year. They, yep. have, Emmanuel, they have Emmanuel Ogba, who had multiple 10-sack seasons before getting hurt last year, which is why they traded for Chubb in the first place, because Ogba got hurt. Ogba hasn't played much this year. He's only played like 200 snaps, but he's had like five sacks, an interception, and a forced fumble in very, very few snaps. So Ogba, I'm hoping as a fan – that you get like one resurgent Emmanuel Ogba game. And I can totally see this. That defensive line is very, very close. When Jalen Phillips got hurt and the Dolphins' defense got a bunch of sacks against the Commanders, they were constantly putting up Jalen Phillips' number, 1-5. They were constantly saying, we miss you, we love you. I think you'll get a similar response from the D-line in honor of Bradley Chubb in this game. It wouldn't surprise me at all to see guys flashing up a two sign to reflect Chubb's jersey number. Uh, So I think Emmanuel Ogba and Andrew Van Ginkle, I think for one game at home, I think can summon up a resilient effort to get a good pass rush. Now, can they sustain this for like a Super Bowl run? I, I don't know. I would probably say not. But I do think for one emotional game at home, immediately after the Chubb injury happened, I think they can put forth a really good effort. I think the Dolphins, they're not like the Commanders where they had very bad depth after they lost Sweat and Young. The Dolphins have two decent options. And Javan Ginkle, future Patriot. I think I've said that before on this podcast. Yep. If, if, if Belichick is still in charge, if Belichick is still in charge, absolutely going to give Andrew Van Ginkle a massive contract in free agency. And Christian Wilkins, but we all know the point of that. Um, but no, so I'll be honest with you. Earlier in the week when I talked to Danny, I was leading Buffalo just because they were the team I would trust more when the lights shine brightest. But everything that you've said, honestly, has persuaded me for Dolphins because this seems like, you know what, this seems like the moment. This seems like the now or never. This seems like the... 
like, you know what, just to stick it to Buffalo and Bills Mafia. And plus two, if Jacksonville wins, I'll say this right now. I know we're taking Titans on the spread, but if the Jags win tomorrow and Buffalo loses, it's it's that that's just it. That's ultimately what I'll end up rooting for. And it sucks that like you know what we're at the end of the regular season road, but we're gonna have so much more to talk about, guys. As the playoffs are here, there's gonna be wrestling involved podcasts. There's a lot of stuff working behind the scenes. The draft will be here before you know it. You got a lot coming for me because I got a hell of an interesting off season coming. But for my team for tomorrow, I'm just gonna enjoy it. Why? Because it's one last game that I get to see. And the next time I get to see my team play, it'll be 2024, which it is now, but in September. But it's almost 25. I'm 30 now. I'll almost be 31 when that happens. But anyway, guys, for my yeah. You got to see Belichick play the hits, right, one last time? You got to hear the hits one last time. You got to hear Kiss play rock and roll all night and party all day. And, and also to our listeners, go check out the Cover One postgame show after the Dolphins-Bills game. Uh, Greg and I have a deal. I told Greg that if the Dolphins win, I wanted to submit a super chat, like, you know, trashing some Bills fans. Um, but I wanted it read out loud. I didn't want Greg to just put the comment up on the screen. I wanted him to verbally read the comment out loud. And Greg <laughs> said he would Greg said he would only agree to this if I agreed to send a comment if the Dolphins lose. And uh, we have agreed to the deal. So I will be going to the cover one postgame show, uh, just submitting a super chat comment either trashing the Bills or being sad about the Dolphins, and Greg is going to read it word for word on air. So, 24 hours from now, guys, if you're listening, this will probably be about 12. But that's something to look forward to. That's something I'll got to tune into. I'll be tired Monday morning. I don't care. It is what it is. But anyway, guys, the regular season's in the books. This is the last podcast of the regular season because when I record tomorrow night, it'll be Bills and Dolphins, but you know what I mean. The brunt of the regular season is done. 271 games in the books. Thank you very much, everyone, for listening to YWC Football Talk. The train ain't stopping anytime soon. Have a good night, everybody. I'm Jeff Woods, and I'm shining a light on music and the rock stars who make it. He just was one of those people. He he stood out. He was a magic guy. He really was a magic guy. We all have force. He had the same amount of force as we all have. This was before Led Zeppelin. Robert was full on. I mean, he was Led Zeppelin without the band behind him. He had the hair, the jeans, the whole thing, you know. And he was amazing. The Records and Rockstars podcast. Heard around the world and yours to hear wherever you get podcasts. All the episodes from JeffWoodsRadio.com. Do, did, will, the Story of People podcast is now available on the Crier Media Network. The first five episodes are here and feature some incredible guests that fit into one or all three of those categories. Ready? Tara Sloan from the San Jose Sharks, Undercurrent Podcast at NBC Sports. Marianne Iveson from Iveson Voice and the Let's Take This Outside podcast to talk about the world of outdoors as well as voiceover land. Ariana Hunsicker, future Canadian Paralympic swimmer, already winning tons of awards for this country. Scott McGregor from the Hot Wallet podcast to dumb down the world of crypto, Bitcoin, and NFTs so you don't have to. And Jackie Holowaty from Climate Pledge Arena in Seattle, Washington, the first net zero carbon certified arena on the planet. Wherever you get your pods, wherever you watch your pods, and on the Crier Media Network.